few years ago, I lost a little scrap of paper that I'd written a phone number on. I searched everywhere, all around the house, trying to find it. Eventually, thought I must have chucked it in the bin. So I went and got the bin bag out of the wheelie bin, brought it into the kitchen, started sorting through. And I didn't find the bit of paper with the number on, but I did find three teaspoons in there. Hello and welcome to the Uncredible Adventures podcast with me, your host, Cornelius. I'm really pleased to have you there. I'm recording this very unusually for me. I'm recording this on the Friday night just before it gets published on the Saturday morning. Now, I don't normally leave it so late, but I've had a really, really busy week. Work has been really busy. I've had a lot of trouble and the kids have been ill as well. And I got all the way to tonight and there was no podcast and we're just starting to hit a bit of momentum. We're just starting to grow almost exponentially. So I didn't want to leave you without a podcast. I wanted to talk to you. I've missed you. I hope you've missed me. But I didn't really have time to shape an episode like I normally would or do the research I'd normally do. So I sat down. I thought, what am I going to do? Am I going to not publish a podcast? No, that's not right. Do you know what? Let's have a go. So this episode is about teaspoons. I'm going to talk to you for the best part of 45 minutes about teaspoons. And if I'm any good at podcasting, if I've learned anything over the last 14 episodes, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be enjoyable. We're going to have a good 45 minutes. Teaspoons, Cornelius, how are you going to do 45 minutes on teaspoons? You're probably thinking you want to hit the stop button now. There can't possibly be interesting things to say about teaspoons for 45 minutes. Well, here's the challenge. Am I any good at this? Let's start us off. Did you know this, for instance? A single teaspoon of honey, it takes 12 bees their entire lifetime to produce one teaspoon of honey. And in that lifetime, they will visit each over a thousand flowers. So 12,000 flowers 12 bees entire life to produce one teaspoon of honey which is probably about the amount of honey you have left on a on a knife after you've spread it on your toast and then you just chuck it in the sink don't you can you imagine working your entire life for a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey and then just watching a watching a human chuck it away and not even eating it small content warning here although this episode is about teaspoons i talk a little bit about the slave trade i talk a little bit about the opium wars very very unpleasant events if you're not in the mood to hear about that or not in the right place then have a look through the back catalogue there might be something a bit cosier that said i think it's a pretty good episode give it a go my name is cornelius have a look for me on twitter uncredible pod is my name on there i'm really pleased to have you along we're going from strength to strength if this is your first episode I think you're going to enjoy it. Give it a go. 45 minutes. Give me give me the next 10 minutes. You'll be hooked. You'll be interested. Before you know it, it'll be over. And you think, wow, this guy just spoke for 45 minutes on teaspoons. And I actually enjoyed it. And then you'll think, do you know what? I'm going to share this. I'm going to tweet about it. I'm going to tell a mate. I'm going to recommend it to one person or 100 people. And that's how we grow. This is Uncredible Adventures with me, your host, Cornelius. few years back when I was living in my lovely little flat and the kids were small I wrote a phone number on a scrap of paper forgot about it and then a few days later when I needed it couldn't find it anywhere I searched absolutely high and low 
all the obvious places on the shelves, behind the telly, sofa and all the rest of it. Couldn't find this piece of paper anywhere. So then in a last ditch of effort, I realised, ah, maybe I've chucked it in the bin, maybe I threw it away. So I went down to the wheelie bin, there was only one bin bag in there, brought it back up into the flat, into the kitchen, and opened it and had a look inside. I didn't find the scrap of paper, but I did find three teaspoons. I also found in like a little nest five tea bags. And now I'm thinking back to the story, it makes me wonder what kind of ecological terrorism I'd performed by chucking five tea bags into a black bin bag. Because I had a little brown pot that you were meant to put food scraps in and tea bags and things like that. And that went into a bigger brown pot that went out to the curb and got taken away by the council for composting along with all the garden waste bags. And eventually they turn it into some lovely compost which they sell back for a couple of quid a bag. And it was never a direct route for a tea bag to come from a cup of tea into the brown pot. I actually had a little ramekin that sat next to the kettle. I wonder if this is familiar to anyone. And that ramekin, if it was too much effort to take the two steps and take the lid off the brown pot, the ramekin held tea bags until there were sort of five or six of them. It was a bit full and eventually it tipped the whole thing into the brown bin. Clearly at some point I tidied the kitchen, being tidied up and absentmindedly, I think, just poured that whole pot straight into the black bin bag. Now, it's not the right thing to do. We should clearly be recycling and composting wherever we can. We've got a green bin for the garden waste. We've got the brown pots for all the food waste. Got blue pots and a, a blue bag. Those are for plastics and metals and glass, which go to be recycled. And then we have the black bin, which used to be, when I was growing up, you only ever had a black bin. But now it's for only for stuff that can't go in the recycling. So it's for... I'm not sure what really. So my recycle men, they don't take plastic trays. So plastic trays go in there, film lids, uh, things that have been contaminated or dirty, I guess. Like what? I don't know, a dirty old dog ball. I probably feel fairly safe to say that that belongs in the black bin. And they take all this away and I'm not entirely sure what they do with it, but it's one of two things. So the first is potentially it goes into landfill. They bury the whole lot in the ground, cover it over with grass... And that's a bad thing. That's something we're trying to avoid, something we're trying to reduce. Presumably, I think the problem with landfill is not so much that you're taking things and burying them under the ground, but it's what you're taking and burying under the ground. So you're burying toxic and nasty things that shouldn't be in the ground. I think if my entire bin bag was filled with tea bags only, if everyone's bin was just filled with tea bags and we were burying that in landfill, that would be a good thing, actually. You'd probably have the most healthy landfill sites. You'd be making wonderful compost and wonderful soil for growing things on. This is a genuine question, by the way. I'm not trying to be controversial, but am I doing a wrong by putting my tea bags in the black bin bag and sending them to landfill? The, the way I see it, I know the council really is driving us to throw away less stuff into landfill and the reason they do that is because they get charged for it so one of the simplest ways to force change like recycling and things like that is to make it not economically viable to not recycle it's a great idea so councils pay a fine or they pay a charge for everything they send to landfill so they've got a vested interest then to spend money on the technology and all the logistics things they need to recycle and, and keep stuff out of landfill and stop things going to landfill so potentially by me chucking these tea bags in there, that's a little bit of extra weight that went into landfill that week or would have gone into landfill if I hadn't found them. 
And surely that would drive the council then to work even harder to improve the recycling, potentially to invest in whatever machine or technology they needed to be able to recycle plastic trays. And not only that, potentially this big, huge, toxic dump of waste that goes in the landfill. Am I not making a little pocket of some nice organic matter? In this sea of toxic waste that's gone to make landfill, there's just a little bit that will go to make nice soil and potentially help Mother Nature reclaim that area of land. If I'm wrong, by the way, and you know the answer, please tell me, because like I said, I'm not trying to be controversial. I, I genuinely would like to know. The other thing potentially they might do with it is they burn it. So I've seen a few signs around that talk about energy from waste. And it's the natural consequence of making people not want to send stuff to landfill so charging councils for landfill they start to look for any way to not send things to landfill and obviously recycling and those type of things are really really effective but i think they've realized that if they burn some of this waste not only can they harness some of the energy for it which goes to make electricity but also guess what they're not sending anything to landfill now again genuine question that sounds much much worse than landfill because if i if i put a plastic tray in the bin and it gets buried in the ground. Now, I know that wastes a bit of ground, and it's not particularly nice, but the carbon, the plastic, surely that's the best place for it. Bury it back under the ground where it doesn't decompose, where it doesn't turn to carbon dioxide and affect our atmosphere. When you burn it, even though it's waste, you're taking something that's been made from oil, made from a fossil fuel that's been in the ground for billions of years, and burning it and releasing that carbon out into the atmosphere. But again, if you burn my tea bags along with that, I don't think net there is no impact on the carbon in the atmosphere from burning your tea bags. Because your tea bags grab carbon from the atmosphere when they grow. So when you burn it, you're just returning whatever carbon they grabbed from the atmosphere in the first place. And unlike stuff made from plastic, which took billions of years to be captured and turned into oil, the tea was probably grown in the, the previous year, so net, I think there's no effect there. Again, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Yeah, but it does make me wonder, I think perhaps there's not any bad place that you can throw away a tea bag. If you chuck it into landfill, well, it doesn't seem that harmful. If you burn it, it doesn't seem that harmful. If you chuck it under a bush or chuck it out your car window, then it's going to break down. I think you have to offset that, obviously, with the composting bit. So if it goes in the brown bin, the fact that they turn it into compost, now soil and compost and earth does hold a lot of carbon it's big carbon reserve but forgive me i'm getting distracted there i don't want to talk to you about carbon i don't want to talk to you about recycling what i'm interested in what i want to talk to you about is the three teaspoons i found in the bin bag how did those end up in the bin the answer is pretty simple the boys were quite small and i was just starting to try and train them to clean up after themselves and be a bit tidy and they ate a lot of yogurts out of pots and I'd started to say to them, look, when you finish your yoghurt, go and take the pot and chuck it in the sink. But totally hadn't monitored that situation. And what they'd been doing is just chucking the yoghurt pots along with the spoon in the bin every time they had a yoghurt. And this was only one bang bag I opened and we were chucking away a couple every week. So I didn't have a few sample size here, but presumably we were chucking away a lot of teaspoons. And that stood to reason because we were always short on teaspoons i never had teaspoons in the house it used to drive me up the wall became an obsession at one point trying to wonder where are these teaspoons how do we never have any 
I had, and I've got to admit, this is a confession, I had over several months started falling into the habit of stealing teaspoons from a coffee place that I frequented regularly. That's a shocking confession, I know. Totally immoral and totally unjustifiable. Allow me, if you will, to try and justify my moral case and why I think it was okay to be stealing teaspoons from this coffee shop. The first thing is, is a major chain. And the first thing to say is the fact that they were charging me three or four pounds for a cup of coffee kind of made me think, look, there's enough margin in that to cover the cost of a teaspoon as well. And the second was, and this is a personal grievance, I'm not going to name the coffee company, but this major coffee company in the UK used to have a reward scheme. So you scanned your card when you bought your coffee and it used to take, I think, about a tenth of the cost or something like that. And it used to add it onto your card as cash. So you'd pay £3 for a coffee and you'd get 30p added to your card as cash, which you could use at any point for anything in that shop. Now, I used to buy a lot of coffee from there. I was quite a regular and I'd amounted £21.83. You can do the maths in your head. There's a couple of hundred quid I'd spent over the course of a year or two. But I had £21.83 on my reward card when they changed the scheme. And it was quite a small change at first. So it went from being able to spend that on anything in the shop to exclusively you can only spend it on coffee. You can't spend it on the cups they sell or any of the sweets or the or the other drinks or presumably the things they have less margin in. You couldn't spend it on sandwiches. And that was slightly annoying, but I wasn't spending it. I, I quite like having the bank of cash there. It made me feel good that if times were ever hard, I had 20 quid's worth of coffee that could keep me going. So I didn't protest too much about that one. And then more recently, they changed it again. Oh, great news. We've improved the scheme. So no longer do you get cash, but instead you get coffee bean points. And once you've got a certain number of coffee bean points, that allows you to get a free coffee. And that's just as good. So they transferred my £21 worth of coffee vouchers or coffee cash. They transferred it to coffee beans that allowed me, I think, five or six free cups of coffee wonderful fair enough okay and I left it there because again I like the security of having free coffee available to me at some point when I'm on my ends and things are going really wrong the other week however I decided to spend some of that I went for a coffee and I don't remember what happened but I thought do you know what I'm going to use some of these points up and I went to use it and I looked at the app and it said I've got no cups of coffee available how can that possibly be? I had loads on there. I, I didn't even have a full card at that point. They, they'd literally taken away five or six cups of coffee. How can that be? And I looked through the history of the account and what they'd done very quietly at the time when they'd spot, swapped this from cash into coffee beans that give you a free coffee is that they'd added an expiry date. So they'd put a six-month expiry date on my £21 worth of coffee vouchers that they turned into free cups of coffee. They'd put a six-month expiry date on, and then without warning me or letting me know, they'd let it expire. So my £21 vanished into thin air. Now, I've complained to these people. I sent them an email, and I also sent my message on Twitter saying, what are you playing at? And they don't care. They're not interested. So... There's my moral justification. Yes, I've stolen coffee, I've stolen teaspoons from these people over the years, but they've taken £21 from me. That's more than enough to cover some teaspoons. But even with these teaspoons that I was pinching occasionally, not every time, I didn't steal that many, we were still really, really short on them because it turns out the kids were chucking them in the bin. I also went and bought a pack of 10 teaspoons from the pound shop 
for one pound. What a bargain. Until you're getting back and realise that they are razor thin sort of pressed steel with a really sharp edge that cuts into your fingers. Totally unsatisfactory and, and not nice type of teaspoons to hold. Now I'm exposing myself a little bit there because I'm obsessed with teaspoons. I love teaspoons. It's my number one favourite implement for eating food or doing anything with is a teaspoon. But I like a nice heavy teaspoon with a good grippy handle and a nice flat front or a, a, a shallow front is my ideal teaspoon. I've got one, it's my favourite and it annoys me every time I think about it being my favourite because it's a Jamie Oliver teaspoon. I've got no idea where it came from. It's odd, but it's got Jamie Oliver written on the back. Now, I didn't buy it. I picked it up somewhere, presumably, but someone did. And it annoys me that someone prayed way over the odds to have Jamie Oliver's name stamped on the back. But one day my life changed. So I went to a slightly different coffee shop and they gave me a long teaspoon. So a teaspoon with a long handle, like the length of a normal fork handle, but with a little teaspoon end. And I brought that home with me. And it was my favourite implement I had in the kitchen. I used to eat pretty much all of my meals with this single teaspoon. I used it for everything. I loved this teaspoon. So much though that I did go out and I went to a slightly more upmarket shop than the pound shop and played, paid a little bit more for a pack of 10 long-handled teaspoons. And none of them are quite as good as the one that I pinched. They've got a more pointed front, which I'm not too keen on. But... Nevertheless, there is something that feels so fancy about eating things with a teaspoon. I can't quite describe it, but I've won over most of my family. My kids all eat with long-handled teaspoons, and my wife does. There's something that you feel very delicate and like you're using an implement, and the long handle makes it feel somehow skillful and refined. And slowly from the dark days of the razor-edged pound shop teaspoons through to the nice heavy Jamie Oliver teaspoon to the long-handled pointy teaspoon... I had almost reached the pinnacle of teaspoon heaven until I discovered on AliExpress, the Chinese website that I've talked about before. By the way, I talked about that in one of my early ones when I talked about chopping down my apple tree or pruning my apple tree. And this is the place that I got the little handheld chainsaw from. If you did listen to that and you wondered how it went... The tree did survive, it's out there, it's doing well. My amateur pruning job was not so bad. It's not got a huge amount of apples on it this year, but it's got some. It's growing branches out of all the trunk and various places where I'd cut back. It's incredible to watch this thing come back. There's a little bit of a diversion there. But what I found on there, I quite often just absent-mindedly scroll through. And in the camping equipment bit, they had a long-handled titanium teaspoon and that was my favourite teaspoon ever. So I travel a lot. I stay in hotels two or three nights a week and I've got a car bag that I carry and I take with me wherever I go so that whatever happens I've got basics in so it has some underwear in there and various things but I've got a little pack that I bought that has a knife a fork and a spoon and a metal straw and some chopsticks and it has this titanium teaspoon in there which comes with me everywhere I travel. If ever I'm eating in a hotel, I use my own spoon. And also, because it's the only one I had, I also regularly used to get it out the car and bring it in the house when I was at home. I, I told you I was obsessed with teaspoons. Anyway, two weeks ago, I went back on, I bit the bullet, and I went and I've ordered six of these. And we've now got a total of seven titanium long-handled teaspoons that are in the drawer in the kitchen. 
in case you've noticed the hole in my story there and what makes this uncredible is of course this coffee brand that I've told you I steal teaspoons from don't give you a teaspoon at all do they They give you a little wooden stick and I do like a wooden stick it's nice and tactile you can play with it but it's not the same as a teaspoon I do vividly remember by the way my grandma she went through a really morbid phase where she used to um in preparation for the end she used to start giving away all of her precious treasures and trying to distribute them so that we had less to deal with when she was gone and I remember once she gave a teaspoon to my sister not just any teaspoon this was some kind of decorative ornamental teaspoon in a little plastic case for it was for the queen's coronation or something like that and I remember her giving this teaspoon with great reverence and awe to my sister and said oh you want to be careful with that you know that's over 30 years old that's silver plated that is that's for the coronation and it's worth over 20 pounds and I was sitting next to my sister and she received this spoon and I looked at my sister and I said oh you want to be careful with that I said that's over 20 years old that is that's probably made of plated with silver and it's worth over 20 pounds And my grandma looked at me, not realising I was taking the mickey, taking it at face value, and she gave me a big beaming grin. And that is why I was the favourite grandchild. (laughs) I did recently, we went to a Mayfair and they had a tombola and I saw uh, presumably the same teaspoon or something very similar as a prize on the tombola when we walked past. I was a bit disappointed that I wasn't on an episode of Bargain Hunt or something like that and I could have wowed the entire nation with my advanced knowledge of teaspoons and able to spot this prize out of nowhere and say, oh, that is silver-plated, that's for the Queen's coronation. It's over 30 years old. Now, it was on this Tombola prizes with a load of other tat and I'm not sure, I I guess that's because it was tat. I don't think it was worth £20 at all. I think it was some mass-produced rubbish or possibly... It was as valuable and as rare and as special as my grandma had always said, in which case I feel like that could have been the grand prize. Maybe that was the thing that you were really meant to be hoping for and it shouldn't have just been mixed in with all the little porcelain objects and little bits of rubbish. I can't help but thinking if that was the case, they should have put a sign up. They could have put a sign up saying a bit of details about this top prize, a spoon worth over £20. My grandma would have liked it at least. So anyway, from scarcity to abundance, our cutlery drawer is overflowing with teaspoons. It's overflowing with all sorts of stuff, actually, to be fair. So we've got piles of various bits of kids' cutlery and plastic forks and spoons from the kids growing up and things they had at various ages. We've got one of the slots in the cutlery drawer is only for sharp knives. So that's another thing. I'll talk about it another time, but I really like sharp knives. I don't eat with a blunt knife. Everything I eat is with a steak knife or a sharp knife. So I've got an entire pot of those in the cutlery drawer. I've got the middle drawer is for big spoons. And then the next drawer along, the next pot along is for knives and so butter knives and forks and then the next one along is for teaspoons long teaspoons titanium long teaspoons and the long teaspoons are bought and then also we've got a drawer at the front which is for normal size teaspoons and razor sharp pound shop teaspoons as well and on top of that you've got jumbled in all the other rubbish that you accumulate over the years so various metal straws and chopsticks odd forks and the little things you spike into the end of corn on the cob to hold you name it it's overflowing in there with everything i'm going to share with you now my top tip for making the best cup of tea if you ever have to make a cup of tea for someone mark my words by the way try this is 
this is a bona fide tip here. If you ever have to make a cup of tea for someone and they take sugar, so you ask how they like it and they say, oh, milk and one sugar or milk and two sugars, whatever they say, give them an extra spoon of sugar over and above what they've asked for. And I can absolutely guarantee that if someone likes sugar in their tea, if you give them an extra spoon without telling them, they will drink that tea and they will say, oh, this is a nice cuppa. Oh, you make a very nice cuppa. My dad taught me that trick years ago and I use it quite a lot and it is a guaranteed crowd pleaser. So top tip there. That's probably the most valuable thing you're ever going to learn from a podcast. If someone likes sugar in their tea, give them an extra spoon and they'll think you've made them the nicest cup of tea they've ever had. Now I've said I use a cup of I use a spoon, a teaspoon for eating just about everything, and and everyone in my house uses long-handled teaspoons now for for eating part of whatever meal you're having. Certainly, if you're having a dessert or anything like that, it's always a teaspoon. But what's a teaspoon actually for? Because they've gone in really bold with the name, haven't they? Teaspoon. It's kind of gaslighted us or brainwashed us all into thinking that this is the right influence. If you're making a cup of tea, you're meant to use it for fishing out the wet tea bag out of the cup of tea. Now, the reality, of course, teaspoon's not great for that job. The ideal implement for that job is a fork because you can use a fork to squeeze the tea bag against the size of the cup and the fluid will flow through it. Really, a teaspoon has got a stranglehold on that. You'd never dream of using anything other. What a brilliant bit of branding there. It makes you wonder, where does the name teaspoon come from? How did it get that name? And then you realise, well, wait a minute, that's a unit of measurement as well, isn't it? So I've got a little key ring that has little round-shaped measuring things that has a dessert spoon measure, it has a tablespoon measure, and it has a teaspoon measure on it. So what came first, the measurement of how much a teaspoon is or spoons that are about that hold about that much that we call teaspoons and the answer I was quite surprised to read this I'd never really thought about it but the answer is that the teaspoon as a spoon used for stirring tea or more to the point a teaspoon as a spoon for getting a portion of loose leaf tea that is about the right amount to make one cup of tea predates the idea of having a teaspoon as measurement so all of the measurements we have that are spoon based so teaspoon dessert spoon tablespoon are based on the idea of how do you share a recipe back in the day when people didn't have scales or or ways to measure things in the house how would you share a recipe of something and the answer was that you use an implement that everyone has that's roughly the same I know in America you use cups quite a lot, a cup as a measurement. We don't really have that in the UK, but certainly the teaspoon, the tablespoon, the dessert spoon as a measurement came from the fact that people would share a recipe and say, oh, how you make a cake, right? Okay, you put two dessert spoons full of flour, one spoonful of sugar, one tablespoonful of sugar and one teaspoon of salt, for instance. And that was just based on the fact that everyone had these spoons in their house. It was the most common type of spoon they'd had. So you could take that to everyone and you get roughly the similar amount, the similar size portion, no matter who was using it. It was a very easy way to follow a recipe. But, but even then, a teaspoon is quite unique, isn't it? Because you have a dessert spoon, like, yeah, a spoon for eating dessert or pudding. That's not very specific. Teaspoon is very specific. This spoon is for tea. A dessert spoon is for eating dessert of any type and a tablespoon well that's not for eating anything is it that's a spoon that you have on a table ironically if you use tea bags like i do the spoon your teaspoons that you've got in your house have probably never touched tea certainly not leaf tea 
But you may have never considered these little tiny pointy spoons you've got in your house and the fact that they made a measurement based on a teaspoon because everyone had a teaspoon or every house had a teaspoon is a hint to the history of Great Britain in particular and just how economically relevant tea is and tea has been throughout history in the UK. And this most common everyday item that you probably never think about is a image or a symbol or is linked to some of the most appalling things that the British Empire did across the world on several continents. So a brief history of tea and the teaspoon. So in China, they've been drinking tea for thousands of years. It's an ancient drink that everyone drinks over there. And it was first brought to Europe by Dutch merchants in the 17th century who went over exploring, looking what was for sale, seeing how popular tea was and how important it was and started bringing crates of tea and dried tea leaves back over to Europe. And it was a very rare and valuable exotic commodity. Initially it was based was medicine. So the idea of the soaking tea leaves and drinking the tea that was made was was some kind of medicine which mysidic... I'm looking, what word am I looking for there? Mycidinal, I want to say. I can't think of the word therapeutic, like say. And I think the little caffeine jolt that you get from a cup of tea probably supported that. And then it became kind of an exotic menu item that in most of the European capitals, there was a lot of coffee consumption. You had coffee houses. And the more upmarket and the more exclusive coffee houses would add tea, Chinese tea onto their menu as a, an exclusive item. And it steadily grew over the next hundred years or so in popularity, this kind of bitter, slightly caffeinated beverage. But it was very, very expensive and quite rare. And it was only really for the hoi polloi. It was for, for very rich and well-to-do people would enjoy tea. It wasn't really mass market. And it wasn't particularly loved. It was seen more as, as something exotic, like an oyster. You wouldn't want to eat an oyster every day of your life, but as a special treat, as something exotic to have, it was an acquired taste and something that was seen as very, very exclusive and posh. So how did this very exclusive mycidinal... Mycidinal, I've done it again. How did this very exclusive product become mass market, become something that everyone drinked? And that is quite murky again if you look at it. So the Spanish and Portuguese discovered sugarcane or brought sugarcane into the New World. So about 2,000 years ago, the Indians were the first people who worked out how to make crystals of sugar, basically by squeezing and then drying off the stems of various sweet forms of grass that had been grown for years. And then that technique was brought over to the Americas and to the Caribbean and to the brutal slave trade. And they realized that they could they could make huge sugarcane plantations and they could have slaves working in really brutal. That I've read about this and I recommend if you're interested at all, you have a look at how brutal it was to be a slave on a sugar plantation it's hard physical work the sugar canes are sharp and they cut your hands it is one of the most appalling things i've ever read i can't remember exactly where i saw that but that affected me very deeply again the the horrors of the british empire but with these large plantations that were farmed by slaves suddenly there was an a mass-produced sugar that was available for the first time to the masses 
and it was really cheap. So they started shipping it over to Europe. But at first, no one really knew what to do with it. It tasted nice and it was wonderful, but no one really had a good idea of how to how to consume the sugar, which was now available and you could buy in vast quantities quite cheaply. So someone somewhere had the brilliant idea of just mixing a spoon, one or two spoons into tea, and it absolutely transformed the drink. Suddenly the sugar overtook the bitterness of it. It made it a really pleasant and enjoyable drink and... Someone somewhere as well at that point realised, oh, if you put a drop of milk in the wet as well, it, it kind of transforms the flavour slightly. And the cup of tea that we recognise now, certainly in the UK, as being a cup of tea was born. And suddenly this kind of uh, hard-to-acquire taste, this this drink that was only for connoisseurs and people were drinking it only as a, a real novelty item, became mass-market popular and everyone wanted a taste of tea with sugar in. And sadly, part of this horrific history that that sudden spike in demand for sugar and the knowledge that you could make it by using slaves fueled the slave trade between the Americas and Africa in awful ways. But it also wreaked havoc on China, the people who produced the tea. You may have heard of something called the Opium Wars. The Opium Wars could just as well have been called the Tea Wars because it was a parallel trade deal between opium and tea that fueled the opium wars so in the 18th century tea was only grown in china china owned the entire market for tea and tea had exploded in popularity in england and in europe people could not get enough of it there was i read somewhere that in the 18th century it would be common you'd spend about five percent of your annual wages on tea alone so we were sending ships and traders and all sorts of over to China to buy tea in huge, huge quantities, pumping money into China to buy it. But at the same time, there wasn't anything that dreary little rainy England produced that China was interested in. There was nothing that we could trade back. So you had one-sided trade where we were spending vast sums of money on tea from China and there was nothing they wanted to buy back. And that's a really unsustainable situation that under undermined the entire economy of the UK, potentially pointing us towards economic ruin. So the British market started to try and manipulate the market for tea and started to try and control the trade in that and take a more assertive interest. And it's a whole nother story I'm not going to go in, but that led to huge rifts between America, who were also hooked on tea at this point, and Britain. And you're either fully aware or at least vaguely aware of the idea of a entire ship of tea being dumped into Boston Harbour, uh, which and that was the event that really marked the beginning of the end of British control in America and the Civil War. But this is where the East India Company, the British East India Company, which had a complete monopoly on trade between the UK and China, really did something quite dastardly. So they found a product that the Chinese did want to consume, they did want to buy, and that was opium. So opium is the syrup or from an opium poppy, which is effectively it's heroin. It's a less refined form of heroin. Hideously addictive and... The East India Company effectively went to war by firstly trying to get Chinese, the Chinese people, addicted to opium. 
and they did this very very well especially once someone realized you could smoke opium I, I read another statistic i haven't got it in front of me but i think it said at 1.27 percent of men in china were addicted to opium so the east india company started selling opium into china to balance out the trade because then that money they would use to buy tea to bring back to sell into england and to make their money now they didn't get the opium from england either oh no 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 of course they don't do anything off their own backs the opium was made in india so they they used the farmers in india to to turn over huge swathes of land to growing opium poppies a whole nother story then against the hardships that brought on the indian people because land that should have been growing food and land that should have been for food to feed the nation was being used to grow opium poppies to fuel this trade into china to get people addicted onto opium so that they would spend their money on it and we could use that money to buy their tea to bring the tea back to feed the tea but the tea trade or the craze for tea in the uk now the chinese emperor saw this and didn't like it and made the trade of opium illegal in china to try and stem it but the the power and the ruthlessness of the east india company would not be deterred so they just started smuggling it or or selling it to smugglers that would smuggle opium into china so then the the, the trade was still the same but it got even more obscure because there wasn't a direct trade of opium for tea there was a trade for opium into a smuggler who would then sell it to then bring the money back which was then used to buy the tea and eventually in 1839 which is not that long ago when you think about it in 1839 the emperor of china found 20,000 chests of opium that were being smuggled in and he confiscated it now of course the east india company who was so embroiled with the british government wouldn't take that lying down they knew exactly what to do and in good old-fashioned imperialist style the gunboats and a small army were dispatched over to far superior military force far better organized better equipment and they went and they had a brutal short war and very very quickly humiliated china and beat them and forced them into negotiating a, a really poor peace treaty with with the britain and part of that peace treaty was that china had to open its ports to allow whatever trade the east india company wanted to do including opium uh, they were not allowed to control it or ban it in any way they also had to give the island of hong kong to the British Empire. Hong Kong, of course, was only returned to the Chinese in 1997. In the meantime, the East India Company, of course, wanted to make sure that they never had disruption for the, the tea trade, and they wanted to take that monopoly on tea back and, and steal it back from China and, and take control of it. You've probably heard people say, not for all the tea in China. And that's a, a good indication of just how valuable tea was. So the East India Company arranged basically smuggling tea plants out of China to over to India to start tea plantations to start growing tea in India. Now, growing tea is pretty labour intensive, just like sugar. So the obvious answer, oh, let's use some slave. Let's get rich off the back of someone else. Only in 1833, slavery was banned by the British Empire. Good choice. However, the, the East India Company, that you wouldn't let a little thing like that stop them so instead they used to use indentured servitude which essentially is you take a free man or a free woman and you make them sign a contract that committed them to work for you for a certain period and then you basically treat them like slaves as well 
and bring that all the way to forward to the modern day. And if you buy a tea, it probably either comes from China or it comes from India. Luckily, the trade is a lot freer now, although I dare say there's probably... I say that very carefully because I'm sure there's murky and horrible things that still go on that I don't know about. So uh, perhaps I'll investigate that and we'll talk about that another time. So maybe that will make you think next time you use a teaspoon or look at the innocent little nice teaspoon, you imagine how it's a symbol for the importance of tea to the British Empire and the, the horrors of the opium wars and the slave trade that went along with that. Here's something interesting. I went to Greece on holiday and they don't call it a teaspoon. They call it a dessert spoon, which is so I'm I'm quite Greek, I think, in the way that I use a teaspoon. So a teaspoon is a dessert spoon in Greece and a big spoon is called a soup spoon. In Spain, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Apologies. But in Spain, a teaspoon is called a cucaradita. And that the direct translation of that is little spoonful <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful wonderful description of of the measurement and the spoon itself little spoonful here's something to think about if a spoon of sugar in a cup of tea can transform it by masking the sort of bitterness and the the tannins and and, and some of the acrid taste of the tea and make it a more palatable enjoyable and then you imagine like a can of coke has got 12 spoons of sugar in how gross and bitter do you think that liquid is without the sugar for for it to need 12 cans of 12 spoons of sugar for it to be a tasty drink imagine what that syrup tastes like i'm going to leave you in a moment but i said to my wonderful wife that i didn't know what i was doing for the podcast this week it's been a very long week and i said you know what i'm i'm just going to talk about teaspoons I'm going to think of everything funny or every little point I can make about teaspoons. I'm going to see if I can make an entire podcast about the topic of teaspoons. So I said to her, I said, what does, can you tell me a funny story or something interesting? What can you tell me about teaspoons? And this is what she said to me last night. She said, oh, we've got too many of them and you leave too many by the kettle all at the same time. You only use them once and then leave them all piled up by the kettle. And then she said, and you have a go at me for using them for anything, so I don't even know why we need them. Now, in my defence, she takes it too far. So what, what I do complain at her is that she will use a teaspoon to serve a curry up or like a, put a big bowl of peas on the table and then put a teaspoon in it. Um, I'm absolutely in the right on that one. That's absolutely shocking and totally, totally wrong. I'm going to end it there. This has been Uncredible Adventures. Listen, I hope you enjoyed it. It's been a funny week. I have got so many ideas and so many things I want to talk about in this podcast. It's just a matter of time. And this week I had absolutely no time. So you got the tea talk. But I hope you enjoyed it. We're sitting here, what, nearly 45 minutes chat on the humble teaspoon. I hope it's been interesting. I hope it's been informative. Please look me up on Twitter. I've got quite a few people that kind of chat to me on there now about the podcast and starting to make some really good connections. So my Twitter name is Uncredible Pod. Uh, I am Cornelius. You'll find me on there. I'd love it if you hooked up. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with someone. If you think someone that might be interested to to hear the show we're starting to grow really quite rapidly now i've kind of hit a bit of flow maybe i've knocked it on the head by doing an entire 45 minute episode on teaspoons maybe you thought this was one of my best either way i'd love it if you shared it with someone let's bring someone else on board give me good motivation to keep making it and to make that time and to come up with something a little bit better than a teaspoon for future episodes till next time i am cornelius you have been <laughs>